Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP. I probably look and sound horrible because I'm at the library where I usually record, and the internet is down. I'm having to use my cellular service as an internet provider. And I'm also here with Father Chuck. Who, uh, the internet's working fine, and... <laughs> Uh, it's kind of weird because as we're going to film this, like I'm going to be the only one in headphones. Yeah, but pretty much you're like you're the professional. I'm I'm the sh I'm the schlub that's calling in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> though to be fair, I feel like I feel like it's probably more professional if we like had a man means of recording this without us having to wear headphones. I don't know, but I don't know. I, every professional podcast uses headphones and a big, big old giant mic in their face. Okay. All right. Well, then I, then I feel good. I feel good. I, I don't feel. Uh, I don't feel. You know, like well, you don't bad TV. You don't have. Something. You don't have the giant mic yet, but you're. You're. We're, we're getting there. Right? I mean, I can pretend. I can. I can pretend that my water bottle <laughs> is like. Of course, I need like the pop screen and like that cage thing that they put all over it to like. We just pretend that we have all the professional equipment. <laughs> Like, just get some Nerf stuff and paint it black and just, like, <laughs> stick it around so it looks like we're... Yeah. Hey, we haven't recorded in a long time. It's It's been, like, a month. <laughs> uh, I, I, we apologize, listeners. Uh, we realize this is the first time we've we've recorded anything in a month, and... Uh, you know, we're we we're all adults. We have our own lives. We have things going on, and sometimes they they get in the way of uh, of trying to record a podcast. You know, we're not in our, we're not in our twenties. We're not college kids making doing all nighters, making movies, short films, and stuff. But, well, and and yeah, we're, we are we are we are we we have like you said, we have lives. We have farming things to do. I was teaching summer school. Um. Yeah, and like you said, the idea of like staying up all night. You know, I, I how did we do that? I don't do, know. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I do. Because I miss it. Like I, I wish I could still do it. <laughs> really? I don't. I do. I I I miss being able to like be like, well, I don't want to work on this right now. I'll just work on it from midnight to five a.m. in the morning and have it done by then. And like actually doing it and having it done and I, doing I mean, it well. I don't know. I guess having now that it's I've like got, a superpower. I guess like now that I have kids, like I'm so I've I've so adjusted to the fact that like I have like and my children are morning people like crazy. <laughs> uh, my mom's a morning person, and they both inherited those genes. Kana and I are really not morning people, but yeah. like now I find you know my kids like my kids wake up like 6 a.m. on their own. Like we don't have to set alarms. They just wake up at like 6 a.m. I mean, That's, oh gosh! And they come and they climb in bed with us to wake us up. So it's kind of cool. Like they're like sort of our alarm. And I, I've come to the place now where I don't know that I can actually sleep past seven thirty. Like if I've ever done that, I feel like a complete bum. And I remember <laughs> JP a nine a.m. class being a tough sell. <laughs> do you, Do you remember like? No, and and like eight a.m. was unheard of. Like, yeah, remember, do you remember, remember? Do you remember occasionally seeing those eight a.m. class people at PBA, and they were just like, "Who who are you?" I remember when they rolled out the eight a.m. classes, and everyone was like, "Who's going to take an eight a.m. class?" <laughs> they have. But it was actually filled up really quickly. They have seven a.m. classes now. Oh God! 
but the you thing just is, finish your homework and you and you, and you go you go to class. Well, and the thing is, I feel like it's like I feel like it's like Disney, where like you know, like the, there's the daytime people at Disney, and then there's like the nighttime people at Disney, and like the nighttime people are very different, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and I'm one. I, I think I feel like that's what's happening at our alma mater is that there's a whole ra- there's a whole population of students that are like the morning crew and then yeah. there's like the people like us who was like yeah we'll take our classes at l- after lunch <laughs> yeah um it's so funny Gosh. and like i just remember i just remember though like i mean the idea of like remember like 10 o'clock was like oh yeah we can go out it's like look at O'Shea's. yeah <laughs> like 10 o'clock is when like the evening began like, like in the middle of doing something, like uh, I can go to a shade right now. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'll go finish this. Then I'll just come back at three a.m. and finish this. It's okay. Do you remember that time when we lived together that Keelan just like busted in the door and was just like, "It's beautiful outside. We're going bike riding." And yeah. you, me, and him, we all grabbed our bicycles, and it was—I mean, it was—it was probably like in the like the, the mid to high sixties, crystal clear skies. And it was also like 11 o'clock at night. And we're just like, we're going to go ride bikes over to Palm Beach. You know, it's funny. And I, I, I remember that day very clearly because I was already procrastinating <laughs> because I had started watching American History X and it like grabbed me. And then like it had ended. And I was like on the verge of tears. And that's when Keelan's like, we're going bike riding. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> was that the first time you'd ever seen that movie? Um, yes, it was. I'd, I'd seen parts of it earlier, earlier years, but I never watched it all the way through. I'd, I'd never taken the journey with Edward Norton and Edward Furlong. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it shook me. And then Keenan's like, hey, bike ride, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody, though. <laughs> I wish I'd known like, that. I, uh, <laughs> I want to talk to you because I've seen the movie many times. Um, yeah. And I, I remember, though, I, I had a headlight and a taillight for my bike, and you guys didn't. So we stuck the headlight on my bike and the taillight on your bike, and we just rode in yeah. a straight line so that, like, it was effective. And then like, we got pulled over bike. by cops. And then we got pulled over by cops. <laughs> in Palm Beach. Yeah. Um, that was fun. That was, that, was, uh, that, was a good, that was a good time. But, yeah, it's just those kinds of things. Like, you could just interrupt. Oh, I know. I got that, that, that's just, just that. like, I remember the finals. My senior year finals. I had no right to do this. I was in the middle of writing a screenplay. I had to finish a screenplay that night. And I was with two friends in a study room in the library. And they were like, let's just go to the island and just walk around. I'm like, it's raining. I'm like, yeah, that's like the whole point. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so instead of finishing my screenplay, when I'm supposed to graduate, I, I went barefoot on the island in the rain. And we just like, we just goofed. We just goofed like for hours. <laughs> We made, we made we made a sailboat out of a newspaper and like we snuck into a garden like well i remember i also remember you know working on projects with you yeah like when we did the uh when we did that um foregone conclusions short uh, yeah that we stayed up till probably like four or five in the morning working on and i remember my ex-girlfriend getting very mad at me she was like you have, you have stuff to be studying for what are you doing messing around with jp <laughs> No, I need you to help with my final. <laughs> so we thought, um, uh, you know, Batman is turning 80 this year. Or he has turned 80, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think they missed the action. Back in March. Back in March. So we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to have a little, little bat riff. A little talk about Batman. 
which is cool because I actually watched a really interesting video last night in defense of Joel Schumacher's Batman movies, and it was really interesting. I learned, hmm. I learned some things. Um, so, uh, how do you want to start this, Chuck? Do you want to start just by talking about just sort of our general feelings about Batman? Um, I will say that I, uh, I I really, really seriously contemplated bringing my um, my 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 rubber Batman mask and wearing it. The one that I had when I was a kid that was a, an adult size mask, but I wore it thinking when I wore it, I looked just like Batman and yeah. my mother found it recently. And, um, Funny. yeah. Um, but I decided against that because I'm a professional adult man. Um, <laughs> but no, I, Batman, the first superhero I ever fell in love with was Superman. Yeah. Um, but Batman really quickly became, one of my favorite one of my favorite heroes and it's one of those things where i don't understand what it is why batman is so beloved by people mm-hmm. um and just sort of it's just sort of a given but people like it has some, i think it has something to do with the with the with the the costume design because there's a similar gravitation to wolverine and marvel and they have kind of similar costumes like the you know horned mask costumes and stuff yeah mm-hmm. um but um yeah i've i mean i i i i i started being into batman originally watching um the adam west film um and tv show and then having my little 7 year old mind completely blown when i first saw the batman trailer for the 1989 film oh yeah um which it's funny that trailer is just like a montage of clips and then the logo like there's just nothing special about it but i remember i can still to my in my mind remember seeing it for the first time seeing the batwing and just being like what is that like that's batman but like he's in black and i want mm-hmm. that and yeah and that really kicked off this sort of lifelong like i i came down with an early onset case of batmania that you know it flares up from time to time you know it's i'm managing it but it's it's not completely I, cured. I think he's Batman is sort of like our is America's James Bond. Hmm. Even though I think that James Bond is America's James Bond, but I think I think that character sort of taps into something the same way James Bond tapped into something. It's sort of a kind of a fantasy, I think, for people. I think they can really. I think you can really project yourself onto him in the situations that he's in. Yes, I, I mean I, I see that. Even though, as much considering that I, I I I'm deeply even into reading current Batman comics, and I think of the character a lot, and I realize how ridiculous that notion is because there's no way that Batman can do what Batman does as like a normal dude with a lot of money. Like there's just no way. Uh, yeah, it's that's really funny. Like one argument I always have with people: people like I always had this argument in college, Chuck, where. It was like, who's better, Superman or Batman? And, like, Batman is... It's like, Superman sucks because he's overpowered. You can't kill him. So there's there's nothing interesting to say about him. Batman is cool because he's just a regular guy and, like, whatever. But then I'm like, no, that's not true. Like, Batman, I mean, in context, you could argue is probably more powerful and more invincible than Superman. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just... Do you ever try to think about, like, what Batman's week must look like? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, because like as I'm reading the comics, and, and and you know DC has gotten to this place now where they're they're less interested in 
less interested in like a really tight Marvel-like continuity. And they're more sort of like we're telling these vignette stories that, you know, if we need to relate to them into the continuity, we will. But there's not it's not like, you know, over here is where, you know, Batman and the Justice League are dealing with Darkseid while over here, Batman by himself, like two weeks later is doing. Yeah, they're not really, you know, they're not trying to make all the pieces fit. Um, And which when you kind of try to make it all fit is funny to me because you'll have, you know, Batman dealing with this multiverse breaking event that happened in um in um in metal um in the metal um dark knight metal uh series that happened like 2 years ago and then but you also then have him doing his day-to-day work every night pursuing criminals and then you have another one where he's you know dealing with like some supernatural thing and he's like in an alternate dimension or whatever so yeah. like that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. like, and then on top of that, you'll have stories like well, there's one right now where Bane has made a reappearance, and um, you know Bane has this bizarre obsession with breaking Batman's spine. It's like they did it once, and now that's all Bane ever does. And so like <laughs> Batman's spine has been broken for like the third time, and it's kind of funny because Tom King is the current writer, and the plot is kind of cool because um, this is where comic books get really ridiculous. But there is. Um, an alternate universe where Batman's where Batman is Thomas Wayne, not Bruce Wayne, okay. um, because Bruce was the one who was killed in Crime Alley, not his parents. And yeah. so the dad becomes Batman, and he's ruthless and everything. Well, somehow Bane has brought Thomas Wayne Batman over into the main universe, and then and Bane is taking over Gotham, and he manages to get into the into the into Wayne Manor, break Batman's spine. And then the next issue, Batman's waking up on the back of a donkey or camel or something out in the desert, and Thomas Wayne, who is a surgeon, is like, I did what I could to fix your back. And then they're just sort of done with it. Like, it's, it, at this point, they just sort of don't even make much out of the fact that, you know, because the first time that it happened, Batman was out of commission for like a year, and they, they gave us, you know, John yeah. Paul Vallely Batman. Um, the, you know, Nightfall, which you've actually read. I've never read Nightfall. Um, but you know, so you think about like that kind of stuff, like Batman gets stabbed, like the recovery, the recovery time on a stabbing is pretty significant. And they depict it like Batman got stabbed and then he's like back at it a couple (laughs) days later. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think he, he's, he's, he's part of that sort of American obsession with like action heroes, you know, who can like take a beat and get, get back up and save the world and stuff. You know, I think that's sort of like our James Bond. And he does that while dressed up in a, in a cool costume. We love costumes. We do love costumes. <laughs> and it's a character of like... That's, him, my, that's my professional opinion. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, and he and Superman came at a very interesting time that's a very different world now. Um, because, both the same time as, as the Great Depression, right? It's, yeah, they're both, they're both to, you know, Batman came out a year after Superman, I think. And, um, yeah, both Depression era, um, um, American police force was still kind of new. Yeah. Because that's something, you know, policing, I mean, policing began in the 1800s, but that was like, it was relegated to like some big cities or whatever. But there was, you know, the mob had a lot of power in the 30s during the Depression. Uh, The police were corrupt um, and kind of inept at times. And so... And crime bosses ran a lot of the cities and stuff like that. And so the idea of, you know, these guys, you know, these kids who, you know, people like, Jill, you know, Jack Kirby or um, 
like Bob Kane and Bill Finger and Joel um, Siegel and Jerry Schuster and all of them who grew up in New York, you know, they they saw that all the time and they, you know, that kind of that desire of like, I wish there was someone who could just sort of operate outside of this corrupt legal system, but do oh, yeah. so in a way that makes that legal system better. And that's what Batman was. He was, you know, the, the world's greatest detective doing the work that the police wasn't doing. But right. now we live in a world where police forces are much more robust and doing all the kind of that kind of stuff. So, it, it, you know, we, now we've got this whole, you know, well-worn and overdone ethics thing around somebody like Batman. Um, yeah. You know, saying, oh, he's a billionaire. He should be using his money to fix the problems rather than just punching, you know, mentally ill people in the alleyways and whatnot. But which is a boring thing to talk about and just so overdone. But um, yeah. yeah. But it is it's so. But it is one of those things that it's just sort of you kind of have to when you read these comics and watch these movies, you sort of have to ignore that the context of the character doesn't really match up with the modern day. But we just sort of don't care because we just think he's so cool that we keep making movies about him. Yeah, and then I think it's also like I don't I don't see anything that empowering in fighting crime. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's because I feel like oh we we got a handle on it <laughs> like we don't need some billionaire with like space technology to really help us out in that area you know it just doesn't feel as empowering as it probably used to like you know maybe like in the eighties right like New York was like uh, horrible right you know? and yeah and I think again because yeah Gotham Gotham is supposed to be basically be Chicago and. I know that, yeah, like in the 70s and 80s, Batman, they kind of returned into his roots of of dealing with like low, like, you know, criminals rather than like supervillains. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense during those times of corruption. But now they've kind of got it where it's, um, you know, Batman and the Justice League take on the sort of things that the that local police forces are just not equipped to handle. Right. You know, like they can't they can't they can't handle Starro. <laughs> you know um but anyway yeah but but uh, I, back to the initial point batman is not just he's not like a normal average dude no and i don't care what anybody says he <laughs> it's just it's just the way he's written like yeah yeah like superman could just like crush batman's skull if, if he just wanted to but like the way that they write batman as your man it's like they're they're equals as far as i'm concerned you know yeah um but uh, so I think that's interesting. Another thing I think is interesting is like there are so many different takes on Batman. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so many, and I, I kind of wonder where where that comes from. Is that sort of like something that comes out of comics? Because in comic books, it's like the, the you're always doing a different take on some different characters. Or I mean, is that sort of like a strictly American thing where we kind of like have, don't have much of a problem of taking liberties on characters and then kind of do what we want just to say what we want. Instead of sticking to like a strict origin story or, or whatever, um, yeah. I, I think that's an interesting aspect about about Batman too. Is that like he's been he's, there's so many different takes and using so many different ways to say something. Well, and what's in current in the current DC slate of things, they're allowing they're really allowing people to do that all at the same time. So like you have Tom King who's writing Batman stories right now in the in the in the standalone Batman comics and. Um, he... Real quick, real quick. 
Did you know that Tom King is like a former contractor with the CIA? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. That was that. I learned that a few months ago. I thought it was pretty crazy. That's why I like every story of his is about PTSD. Oh, oh okay. Um, but he. Sorry, uh, I'm sorry to throw that in there. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. No, yeah, so, and that's an important thing. Yeah, I guess I, you know, I'm taking for granted. Tom King listeners are probably who's this? Tom King is a is a comic book writer. His background as a in the, in the CIA and military. Um, he's a, he's a vet, and he himself struggles with PTSD and other and other issues from his time in service. And so he he uses superhero characters. Span, you know, caping, you know, caped spandex characters to tell these kinds of stories about what it means to be traumatized in war. Um, his two most celebrated runs, limited series comic runs, which are like you know mini series, is Mister Miracle, um, which deals with depression, and um, um, the Omega Men, which deals with the the psychological trauma of war and what war does to people. Um, and both are very, very good. Um, I've not read all of Mr. Miracle. What I have read is very good. Um, Omega Man is excellent. Um, and then they gave him the reins to Batman. And he's done that. He, he basically got like a hundred issue run for Batman and was allowed to tell the story he wanted to tell. And part of it deals with Bane. The whole overarching thing is Bane wanting to break Batman because that's what bane always wants to do but instead of but instead he's realized he can't break him physically so now it's about him being broken psychologically and spiritually and it has dealt with some really great character work um and batman is very you know and it deals with i mean the classics of batman you know he's he's sort of he's sort of off mentally um he refuses to allow himself to be happy um, because he, you know, he took this sacred vow to avenge his parents and to, you know, fight for justice in Gotham and blah 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 blah. Um, at the same time, you have like Scott Snyder who wrote Batman for a while, who's now writing Justice League, and they sort of embrace the inherent silliness of an overly grim guy who takes a vow to a vow for justice, dressing up like a bat and hanging out with all these super powered people. And they really take the wind out of Batman a lot in the current Justice League comic, which is very fun. Um, and so you have these two really, uh, really celebrated, acclaimed storylines involving Batman taking place at the same time. And they're very different characters. Um, but probably the best single issue of a comic book I have read in the past decade is Tom King's, um, I can't remember which, it, what, Batman 72 or something like that, but it's called Date Night. And, uh, no, sorry, it's in the 40s. It was like 40-something. Anyway, it's called Date Night. Um, the storyline deals with um, Bruce and Selina Kyle, Catwoman. Um, they're engaged and, and getting married. And so they decide to go on a double date with um, Clark and Lois, who are married. And it is very funny to watch them um, interact. There's no villains. There's no crime. There's no fighting. It's just Clark and Lois and Bruce and Selena going to the fair. And, um, and it deals with, um, and the thing is, it's like a superhero theme night at the fair. And so, so that nobody recognizes them, they switch costumes so so Bruce is dressed like Superman and 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 Clark is wearing the Batman costume. But the best part about it is uh, Clark has the glasses on over the mask, <laughs> which is such a great detail because it just it shows to what degree Clark 
hides his identity. Still pretty paranoid about his identity. Yeah, um, but it's I. If you're gonna buy a comic book, I, I'm serious. That it, it is well worth the two ninety nine it would cost you to buy that issue because it it just shows you know what it's just, it's just great writing. Um, is it available on DC's uh, app on there? I don't know. Probably at this point. Um, cause it's, it's about a, about a year and a half old or more issue now. So I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's on there, but it's, uh, but it, but it's a, I mentioned it because it does what we're talking about here is that it sort of encapsulates multiple takes on these characters, specifically Batman, but all at once, right? They embrace the silliness of the fact that he dresses up like a bat, but there's also the fact that he is this serious kind of broken individual, that doesn't know how to just be happy and, and let loose. And they've just kind of got all of that going on at the same time. Listen, didn't Grant Morrison do that too, where he just sort of like kind of confirmed that he did some kind of run with Batman and he confirmed that all of the silly stuff that happened in his past was like actual canon. Yes. Like they showed an image of him in like the rainbow Batman yep. suit yep. and things like that. Like, yeah, I haven't read anything by Grant Morrison. I mean, I haven't read his Batman run, but... It's- it's a total tangent. His Green Lantern run is great right now because he's taking Green Lantern to a pretty weird place. And we all know who famously was involved with Green Lantern in the past. And that is Grant Morrison's rival ma- magician, Alan Moore. And I don't know if you know. I didn't know that. I didn't know Alan Moore did Green Lantern. He did a couple of Green Lantern stories. He, um, yeah, he gave us Mogo, the sentient planet, and basically laid the groundwork that someone that they later picked up to create that blackest night run. Um, okay. But um, Alan, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Alan Moore and Grant Morrison hate each other. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're currently interlocked in a wizard battle. As right. Know. Well, Grant Morrison sticks jabs at Alan Moore all throughout his green lantern book. <laughs> um, and it's very funny. If you, if you know what's going on, because it is the, the most nerdy, ridiculous, ridiculous rivalry um for for listeners who don't know alan moore claims to be a wizard as does grant morrison and they they basically like they feel like each other's commitment to magic is wrong that they don't do it right and so as a result they snipe at each other all the time and grant morrison yeah through comic books and now grant morrison is writing stuff that Alan Moore used to write and he's using it as a way to sort of beat up on Alan Moore. It's, it's so so silly. (laughs) So silly. Um, but anyway, Batman. All right. So let me ask you, uh, let me ask you a question, Chuck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is your favorite Batman movie? I can hear my phone ringing randomly. Um, I'm going to go with 89. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And, and why, why, why 89? I think because I, I, I think it's for me purely nostalgia factor, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But it was one of the first movies I can remember as a kid seeing that, like, I saw it in theaters pretty much close to opening weekend and mm-hmm. watching it and just really feeling like, I was experiencing something huge. Yeah. Um, 
And I love it because I love the set design. I love the way they made Gotham look in that movie. Um, I love the costume. To me, you're uh, as much as I like, you know, the you know the the, the black and gray um, comic book suit. I love the black, the black with the black bold with the yellow. yellow belt. Yeah, um, love that costume. I love. I, I just I, I I love the depiction of of Gotham. I just, the whole thing feels and it's it's something you know it it encapsulates what I love about about eighties Tim Burton, um, yeah. <laughs> you know pre CGI Tim Burton where it everything sort of had his touch on it and it just felt of a piece where it was just a fully realized committed thing and it just felt like a different world but a world that was lived in and like you could somehow go and visit it. Um, I. I know that the way they depict Bruce in it is very different than he's ever been depicted in the comics because they depict him as a recluse rather than as a playboy. Um, but I think it works better um, for the world they're trying to depict and the kind of and the kind of person they're trying to, to show. Um, and I, Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker is 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 truly wonderful. Um, iconic, yeah, iconic. I just I, I it's it's. When I to me even even the even the Dark Knight to me feels like it owes a huge debt to eighty nine Batman and pretty much every Batman movie is kind of riffing at some point or another on that movie and so for me it's such a keystone thing that it's my that it's my favorite. I mean, as well as just blockbusters in general. Yeah, because in terms of like in terms of just cinema. Yeah, uh, Batman '89 was considered to be, even though I mean, we we the first blockbuster was arguably Jaws and Star Wars, but Batman '89, the way that is sort of marketed and approached, set the standard for how blockbusters are made today. Yeah, like I can remember. Do you remember the Batman serial? Yeah, and it had that Batman bust bank that was like mm-hmm. shrink wrapped to the front of it. I woke up one morning yeah. to that sitting on my desk next to my bed when I was seven years old. My mom had bought it and surprised it with me. And so in, my, in the middle of the night, she just sat it on the table. So when I would wake up, the first thing I would see was Batman. And I was so excited. <laughs> so well, it, excited. And, just, you know, it, it, a perfect 80s marketing thing to kids, right? I mean, it just, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing you mentioned is you said you, you watched the trailer and you said the thing that struck you was that they showed the logo. And I don't know if you remember at the time, but I, I certainly remember uh, being a kid and going to movie theaters and just seeing the Batman poster. The oh, Batman yeah. poster was just the just the logo. Yeah, it was the bat symbol. Yep, that was that was not done yet. Like that was actually kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, <laughs> like that's just like we need a symbol and we need to just put it on the poster. <laughs> right. That's the, that's that's your basic teaser poster now, right? Right. And Batman was like the first one to do that because they had that, you know, it was that gold emblem, mm-hmm. that gold bat symbol. Um, which, gosh, I just remember like the clear say I had I had the T-shirt. It was a white T-shirt with that gold emblem on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every kid did back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, we should note by the way that that movie's thirty years old as of this year, and yeah. it's um, and, and as of this summer, um, and just Batmania, man. Kids were getting the logo yeah. shaved into their heads. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. I, I loved... I, when I was a kid and I saw the movie, I was just, like, in awe at the Batwing. Oh, yeah. I loved the Batwing. And the, the just, and just the, the shot of the Batwing, like, you know, 
going just straight up into space, basically, and then stopping right at the moon and falling. Crazy, weird, not subtle at all, but amazing. And, and, just, <laughs> and, and just an iconic 80s shot, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he stole my I had, the, I, I had the bat wing, and I shot those suction cup darts. Yes. Yeah, and I, I, that, I, that was my favorite toy when I was a kid. That was the Even that was the I lost the wings. That was the toy biz one, right? I think so. It was basically like you held it like a gun. Yeah, yeah. And it had the suction cup darts, and the wings came off. And I actually I lost the wings, but like even after I lost the wings, I I, I kept playing with it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if that was because because <laughs> that was all uh, within the toy world. There's a a, a little uh, little footnote about the fact that Toy Biz had the license for like a minute for Batman, and yeah. they produced a line of toys like super quick, and then they lost it to Kenner. And then Kenner released this whole range of far superior Batman toys, um, but I had the Bat- I had the Toy Biz Batmobile and the Toy Biz Batwing, and then of course like a year later they released, um, like a year later Kenner did all of it, and it was like, oh, these are better. Like I want yeah. these now. And then you know Batman in every color possible. Every <laughs> remember all those Batman toys. <laughs> That was great. I love. I had my favorite one was the Arctic Blast Batman, which is like a pure white. Oh yeah, I had that one. That I was for that was really for Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah, which okay. is also a good movie. I, I actually, I, 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 Batman Returns is also a really good movie. Um, Batman Returns is bonkers because it's just they just let Tim Burton do whatever he wanted. Like Batman is more of a compromise between Tim Burton and the studio and a lot of market testing. Batman Returns, it was just like do whatever you want. Yeah, and, and I feel like Batman Returns is a little more true to Batman than, than Batman 89, even though I love Batman 89. Uh, aside, yeah. from, aside from him stuffing like a thing of dynamite down a guy's pants and kicking him in a <laughs> hole, um, it's, a pre- it's pretty true to Batman. Yeah, that, that's a great scene, though. That's so good. I, I love that the henchmen in that movie are just like, just like a crazy circus, just like a, just a horrifying circus. <laughs> right. Like, it's almost like, uh, it's like Tim Burton really wanted the Joker back. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that might have been a result of market testing, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, but uh, uh, Michael Keaton is Batman. I don't think people realize the youngins today. When, when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, people were angry. <laughs> like that was an enormous deal, a huge deal. Like like Beetlejuice, Mister yeah, Mom. Really? I, I actually did not know that until the controversy of Heath Ledger being cast as controversy yeah, in quotes uh, of, of Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker and people making a big, a big stink about it. And I remember when I first heard the casting, I was like, okay. And then I saw the picture of him in the makeup and I was like, okay, I'm definitely on board, but people were still upset about it. And then I was all these stories like, remember they, people got upset about Michael Keaton. I was like, what people got upset about Michael Keaton. Yeah. And then I learned about it and I never, I didn't realize just, but you're right. It was, it was as intense um, a thing as um, uh, what was a re- I'm trying to remember there was like another recent I mean every casting anymore has controversy behind it um, but people got really I'm trying to remember I thought there was another one recently that was sort of oh it was when Ben Affleck got cast as Batman people lost their minds oh I was excited when I heard it I, like, yeah I was too but other people lost their minds because they just thought of Daredevil but I mean I think people are always going to lose their minds about it. I mean, they just cast Robert Pattinson as Batman. Oh, that's another, yeah. Which is perfect, <laughs> by the way. Perfect. I know. I think it's great. But you just imagine this, your, your regular basic, you know, your basic nerd is probably just like, what? 
Well, it's because they're they're ch- they're children. Well, they're yeah. children who hate Twilight, and that's just what yeah. it comes down to is that they feel. And I remember being that age and being like that. Like I would have if I were, if I were like seventeen now or something, I'd probably be angry on the internet about Robert Pattinson <laughs> being cast as Batman because like I wouldn't have. I don't know. But I, even when I watched the Twilight movies, I you know I watched it with a critical eye. Like these movies are awful, but like he's a good actor, and there's some good actors in this movie. They just got a terrible movie around them. Yeah. Um, but going back to Michael Keaton, it, there, you know, it was people were really like kind of like already shrugging the movie off when they yeah. heard that casting. Like it wasn't even like, oh, this is interesting. It was like, no, that's bad, horrible casting. That's the worst choice ever. Um, and well, I guess because they were afraid it was going to be like Adam West, right? Yeah, there was that. Yeah, um, and I think he he did such a brilliant job. Um, because I think his Bruce Wayne is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just kind of tell, you know, watching the performance that, like, the way he's approaching the character is, I don't like being Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Like, at, at every moment of the day, is like, I would rather be Batman right now. Like, I would rather be in my bad costume just, like, punching criminals. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, or, if you, and if you think about it, I mean, that's, that's encapsulated in the first line that he says in the movie. I'm Batman. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was, you know, he, cause as I understand the line is written in the script was I am the knight. Mm-hmm. And he ad libbed, I'm Batman. And that really sets the tone. Like, yeah, he is Batman. He's not Bruce Wayne. He is Batman. Right. And it's just like, uh, he really leans into the trauma, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he just, he plays it so well. And so subtly with like, without much dialogue, even like, I don't think he really speaks that much even as, as Bruce Wayne. Mm-mm. Um, Aside from like when he's talking to you know Vicky Vale and stuff, and who screams a lot. <laughs> yeah, she does <laughs> scream a lot in that movie. Um, Kim Kim Basinger, she was great too. Jack Nicholson. Uh, <laughs> I, I know we we kind of joked a while back about uh, Jack Palance being in Batman mm-hmm. and just sort of imagining Tim Burton directing Jack Palance. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. that had to be like on set. And yeah, keeping in mind our art goth kid, like okay, Jack Palance. And this is <laughs> and this is Tim Burton. When Tim Burton, I mean, he's just come off of like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, right? I mean, he's yeah. not he's not like you know Tim Burton now is is sort of an institution and in, in people of you know he's he's had his respect and now he's just sort of taking you know he's just sort of doing what he's doing, right? Um, you know, he was a really like he was like the stereotype of what like. Hollywood had become at the time. I mean, he had that teased out cure haircut and he's all like gothed out and, and he's young and he's going to, and he's going to tell Jack Palance how to act (laughs) in a movie. I mean, it's, I mean, could you just take a moment to appreciate the fact that, okay, Michael Keaton was still relatively new in his career. You know, he was up and coming. He he was, he was at a height of his career, really. But mm-hmm. he wasn't like he wasn't like an established like institution as an actor. He just had a lot of really I mean, successful roles. And he didn't have the visage of an American tough guy like Jack Palance did. Right. But you've got Jack Palance and Jack Nicholson yeah. in a movie that Tim Burton has to direct. And you can tell that Jack Nicholson totally walked all over him. <laughs> because that's how we got Bob the Goon. Right. Which I love the fact that Bob the you know the story about Bob the Goon. No. That's Jack Nicholson's buddy. 
Oh, really? And he was just like, I want him in the movie. And they were like, oh, okay. So they just create. Awesome. So, so Jack Nicholson is just sort of like, yeah, he's my goon. What is he? Bob the Goon. He's just like old buddy of his. Not even an actor. You're just going to like stick him on screen and just so he can hang out with his buddy. Now, like Jack Nicholson, of course, is famous for having in his claws of his contract, like the opportunity. Like he doesn't show up to the set till like 10 a.m. Um, he is allowed to like leave whenever the Lakers are playing. Um, he's famous for this. Wow. So I can only imagine Jack Palance, Jack Nicholson, and here's this like gothed out kid trying to like <laughs> Yeah. Trying to direct them. It's amazing. It's it's such a weird, like kinda like a transitional moment in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Um but yeah, that's so yeah, Batman eighty nine is great. I remember I, I saw it when I was like six years old and I was just obsessed with it. I remember the I was living in Dallas at the time, and so um, Dallas has the theme park Six Flags, mm-hmm. uh, Six Flags over Texas, and they had a Batman stunt show. And uh, I remember watching it thinking it was like the greatest thing in the world. Um, that was based off the movie. And like thinking, like, is Michael Keaton going to be here? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when you go see the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> and they're still trying, and they're still trying to pretend that the guy in it is Harrison Ford's stunt double. That's my favorite yeah. part. Like, this is Harrison Ford's stunt double. No, it's not. <laughs> Harrison Ford's eighty, man. What it was? That's so funny. That's great. Oh man, we. Uh, I love getting nostalgic about theme park stuff, but like like that, like yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So my, if I if I could talk about my favorite, well, why are you asking my permission? You're the moderator. Uh, I'm not asking your permission. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm segueing. Okay, just, gotcha. Okay, okay. It's a rhetorical um, rhetorical device. It's it's interesting. I don't know if I really. I love the Dark Knight. Like just when I think I, I don't love the Dark Knight, I sit down and I watch it. And I'm like, oh god, what a great movie that was. And it it, it kind of really. I remember when the Dark Knight Rises came out, and Matt and I went to go see. Uh, they had some social event where they showed all three movies. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises at, at midnight. And uh, it was actually a pretty cool event. I remember sitting down, we watched Batman Begins. And when it was over, I was like, yeah, that, that, that movie doesn't really hold up to me. Like, I, yeah. I remember loving it when it first came out. Like, I thought it was, I was actually really fascinated by it. Um, but it didn't really hold up. Even like in watching it on the big screen again, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, not, not great. Um, and then the Dark Knight, and then we watched the Dark Knight, and I remember coming out of that being like, "Oh my God, that movie is amazing!" Like I, I, I was remember, I was just like pumped. I was like shaking, like I just watched it for the first time. And I was like, "Let's let's be real. I, even though we're seeing the Dark Knight Rises tonight, we came for this movie." <laughs> <laughs> um, and after watching the Dark Knight Rises, that kind of turned out to be true because <laughs> that was not a that movie is not good. Oof, it's 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 rough. I don't. I it's it's. I don't know. I think it's just because it just was not the movie Chris Nolan wanted to make, and I don't think he's used to like making movies he doesn't want to make. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, because sadly, yeah. I mean, he he wanted to make a third Batman movie, but you know, Heath Ledger was supposed to be in it. Right. But tragically, he passed away. He couldn't do it. So, and what do you do? You just kind of do what you think fans want, right? Because I don't think Christopher Nolan had like a, an intense desire to do a movie about Bane. Right, even though Tom Hardy as Bane is awesome, <laughs> like 
like I don't think the movie is great, but I, I I'll watch Tom Hardy do anything. Yeah, he's he is easily the best part of that movie. Yeah. Um, because yeah. he's he he's chewing the scenery. He's having a good time. He's you know he, he has to do that the the thing that Tom Hardy loves to do, which is weird voices. I know, I love it. <laughs> um, but and, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I guess I, I mean, I love The Dark Knight. I mean, I, I would I guess I would say it's my favorite. But I also really love Batman Returns. I know you do. I love that movie <laughs> to death. Um. Just because it is, it's just so weird. Um, it's so cool. I because it's it's a it's a Tim Burton action movie, and like he doesn't do action movies. And it's oh, you're talking about Batman Returns for a second. I thought you were talking yeah. about Batman Forever. Okay. Oh. Okay. No, I, I, I do love Batman Forever because I know you love Batman uh, Forever. Okay. I do love. <laughs> I do love Batman Forever. Uh, very different reason, um, but. I don't know. I just Batman Returns is just. Uh, I think the performances are, are really great. I love Danny DeVito. I love mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton plays well with all of them. Oh yeah. Um, and it's just like a. I don't know. It's it's kind of like, you know, Tim Burton is sort of famous for being a, a really big monster fan. You know, he loves the Universal monsters. He loves the Hammer horror movies, um, and I feel like that's really present. And Batman Returns. It's it's kind of like a, a oh, yeah, universal horror movie. Yeah, because the, the penguin, the penguin is absolutely like a universal horror, like gothic horror character. Yeah, he's very like they really try hard to make him sympathetic. You know, mm-hmm. um, he's a monster, and he, that's that's not what he is in the comics, like at all. Like, yeah, no, I remember. Not... Yeah, when I when I when I first started reading the comics again and seeing Penguin in it, it was always like, oh wow, okay, so Penguin's just a gangster. Yeah, and he's got it. You know, he comes from a wealthy, connected family, just like Bruce Wayne. Like they grew up together or something, or they went to similar boarding schools or whatever. But he just ended up becoming, you know, involved in like organized crime and really shady white collar criminal activity behind the scenes and, and doing things like that. And he puts up all these, you know, fake fronts and charities and stuff. And he tries to be involved in the politics, but he's got this whole organized crime thing underneath it and runs a casino and all this kind of stuff. He's not like. Yeah, in the movie, yeah, he's this monster, and I really love. And the real, of course, you know, the real villain in that movie then is Max Shrek, who, right, yeah. you know, makes him a pawn. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, feel bad it, for it, him. The, the the climax in that movie is like a really intense emotional climax. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, my my mom took me and my friend to see the movie, and I was like eight years old or something, eight, seven, eight years old, and it was just so like. Like, watching the part, like, after, you know, Batman rips his mask off, and then, like, Catwoman kills Max Shrek, and then supposedly kills herself, and then he's, like, good. and Batman's, like, going through the ru- through all, like, the, the rubble, and then Penguin, like, rises out of the water, and it's just kind of, like, waddling yeah. through the water toward him, he's, like, bleeding out of his mouth. Or that black stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, I was, like, eight years old, I'm, like... What a whoa! whoa. <laughs> this is a, yay, Batman! <laughs> like, is this the big fight? <laughs> yeah, you can. And then he just like he pulls out the wrong umbrella, and it's actually kind of funny because <laughs> he's like shit. <laughs> and then he just kills over and dies. Like, and Batman's just watching. Like, okay. 
it's such a weird climax for a oh, blockbuster. And you don't forget the 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 guys in penguin suits who then yeah. like mournfully put him in the water to like give him a Viking burial. It's 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 a, okay. You know, I, I like this movie more than The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> he drives a tank that looks like a rubber ducky. It's great. Batman has a multi-purpose tank. He has a vehicle in it called the Bat Ski Boat. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a submarine ski thing, hydrofoil vehicle that is conveniently designed to be the exact size of of sewer pipes, which Gotham has enormous sewer pipes, by the way. Um, Huge sewers. Wow. They're they're like the size of the Colico. They're just like giant Roman aqueducts. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that was, it's, it's, it's funny you're bringing this up because th- that was the movie as a result where my mom decided that I was not allowed to see PG 13 movies for like yeah. a year or more until I bamboozled her into letting me see Jurassic park when it came out like a year later. Um, um, cause I remember like my mom was just like, like she wouldn't let me see Batman, uh, Batman returns again in theaters. I, I only saw it once as a kid and I didn't see it again until I was an adult because like, I was just never, my mom's like, you're not allowed to see that. It's too adult. It's too. Yeah. You know, she was really uncomfortable with the rooftop scene with Catwoman and Batman, which. Oh uh, yeah. It's yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's a dark movie. It's violent. It has, you know, it has sexual content and things like that. And my mom being like, this is not a kid's movie and it's not a kid's movie. It's not. <laughs> So I have a question. Yeah. What are your feelings on Batman the Animated Series? Oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I watched it every day after school when I was a kid. Um, and it's been a while since I revisited the series as a whole, but I, I've watched a couple of episodes uh, a few years ago. Like I, I watched what, the, 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 the Mr. Freeze episode. Yeah. Is uh, yeah. that Heart of Ice? Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, holds up, man. Well, and it's one of those things, too, where that show had such an impact that people just don't even, in terms at least of of Batman and and a lot of our pop culture, that we just don't even really acknowledge. Harley Quinn was created for that show. All right, yeah. Um, Mr. Freeze was um, was like like an obscure nothing villain that they made him into a tragic figure for that show. Clayface. Clayface was another, like, goofy 70s Batman villain they hadn't done anything with, and then they made him into a, another tragic villain. And Poison character. Ivy. And Poison Ivy. Um, a lot of these, what we would consider now, I mean, like, for, 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 Harley Quinn is a pop culture icon right now. I mean, so popular. And she has her origins with that show um, yeah. as Joker's sort of sidekick. And then we get, um, but yeah, I mean, so much of, of, of what we consider like top tier Batman characters originated from that show. And I think it's one of the reasons why I remember early on when they were making Batman and Robin, the rumor was that they were eyeing Patrick Stewart to play Mr. Freeze. Really? And I remember thinking like, yes, that is perfect casting. And then I found out it was Schwarzenegger and I said, no, that's terrible. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, and I, I mentioned Batman '89 being one of the first times I saw a movie where I was like, that was like a big movie, like a real big deal. Batman and Robin was the first time I was in the bathroom after seeing the movie, and I just I uttered out loud to myself, I said, I just saw a bad movie. That was a bad movie. That's what yeah. a bad movie looks like. Um, I think it was the first movie I ever saw 
out of like obligation where it's like <laughs> I've seen all the other ones I, sh- I need to watch the next Batman movie so I'll just go yeah and yeah didn't like didn't didn't, didn't love it I mean I like I like George Clooney as Batman he looked good as Batman you know it's kind of funny I watched this whole video defending Schumacher's Batman including Batman and Robin and it's kind of interesting when you kind of consider it like like it's not that bad it's just not what people wanted at the time and not what people needed <laughs> you know it was just a a very different take it's it bad a it is people... a bad movie i don't care what anybody says that is a bad movie okay the bat card you watch Batman the bat card the bat card alone <laughs> is proof that it's a bad movie it says goth card at the bottom corner i don't know if you saw, if you saw that whatever he it clearly indicates that like so okay so obviously bruce wayne is wealthy enough to have his own like private bank does he like work behind this he create his own special i just when you use the credit card as a paper trail it's gonna be easy to figure out your secret identity well do, do you think the adam west series is bad the adam west series set out to be bad but what? But what if Schumacher was doing the same thing though, Batman with Batman and Robin? Because I think he was. I think he. I think he meant to make like a Silver Age, just like a like Super Camp. Like I think he meant to make something campy. I mean, maybe he did. I. It's just. I don't know. I watched it. I watched it a couple of years ago, and the climax of that movie where they show up and they're in these like silver and blue costumes just suddenly that have ice skates equipped in them because um <laughs> like i can understand batman always having a contingency plan but the fact that batgirl already has like this specialty suit really bothers me um i mean and, yeah it's definitely designed for toys like that that's kind of like a, yeah a and i guess like that's the thing is it's like i don't i don't think that i really don't know that i buy the idea that schumacher was actually setting out to make a campy film hmm um, I don't know. Because I mean, he has said, in, again, he has said in interviews that his preference would have been to make a gritty film, but he was sort of told by studio notes that they that that wasn't what's selling because obviously you know Batman Returns didn't do well, and so they were still trying to push that because he tried to make a pretty you know more serious Batman film with Batman Forever. Yeah, um, it has an interesting sort of uh, emotional narrative. That movie, it's all about him kind of coming to terms with why he's Batman. Yeah, um, yeah. It's one of those movies. I think that there's a better cut of that movie somewhere. Yeah. I think that there's stuff that was edited because I know there's there's some deleted scenes and directors cut stuff out there that show that it's a, there's a stronger narrative and a much more emotional ma- narrative. But I, I guess like it front loads a movie where you don't see much of Batman, and that's why they didn't do it that way. Right. Um. But I um um. But that has some terrible script. I mean, some terrible dialogue. The dialogue yeah. that, that where, where I, I think all of, all of Nicole Kidman's lines are bad. <laughs> like every single one of them is just terrible. Um, <laughs> but it was also one of those movies. It was like, oh yeah, Drew Barrymore was in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also a movie that I think is not helped by Jim Carrey. Oh, I know. Because. He was, you know, every, you know, everyone loved Jim Carrey, but they totally cast him just because everybody loved Jim Carrey and all of his comedy things. And yeah. it, I don't know, that's a bad movie. They're both bad. They're both bad. Um, 
I think you should give him a shot, another shot. That you, no. should, you should sit down Listen, with your with your kids. Maybe with my kids someday. I, the thing is, I I only have so many two hours left in my life, JP. <laughs> and you're talking to somebody who is still yet to see a Godfather film. Yeah, you think that I'm going to take the time away from possibly seeing The Godfather to seeing. <laughs> Okay, the fair point. I I, I see. You. I I would much rather you watch The Godfather. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, but I um. Uh. Well, one thing is interesting about Batman and Robin is that it 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 is sort of pivotal, and that it became something that studios didn't want to make. <laughs> it became an example of like, okay, we're gonna make this real movie, but it can't be like Batman and Robin. Please, God, please don't make it like Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's interesting talking about that because that gave way to what we saw with um like X-Men. Yeah, where they tried to make it grounded and that gave birth yeah. to that whole movement of these 90s superhero films where they were sort of embarrassed of them being silly, right? Like they had like I just read recently a story about there was a there was a pitch like a '90s pitch for a, an Incredible Hulk movie that would have had um, Bruce Banner trying to he was working on some kind of like DNA modification to help for space travel or something, and he was experimenting on prisoners, and you know it just it, it all has that kind of like. Well, we've got to figure out a reason why this guy is doing this thing and, you know, or like, um, or kind of like the fantastic, I know this is a 2000s movie, but the, the fantastic four sequel where Galactus is a cloud. Oh yeah. Um, and not like a giant dude in space. Um, or where they would like make an acronym that spells out the name yeah. of yeah, it's just they would do those weird things, and I, you know, obviously they were doing that because they were trying to swing in the opposite direction from Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. and you know, X Men, which is you know an enjoyable movie, but is still like kind of embarrassed, yeah, of itself. And, Very much. But weirdly, I'm bringing this up because the Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and the Dark Knight feel like that too. Oh yeah, totally. at times, but somehow it works because I mean, well, Dark Knight really is. It feels like Nolan, Christopher Nolan was sort of doing like what Alan Moore did with Swamp Thing, which is like, you've given me this this ridiculous comic book character, but I'm going to use them to tell the story that I want to tell rather than try to tell a Batman story. Like, I'm just going to basically make a riff on Heat and just happens that one of the guys dresses like a bat. Okay, that's my movie. Um, I'm going to make a globetrotting, I'm going to make a globetrotting adventure movie. Um, it just happens that this ninja dresses like a bat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, which is great. I mean, and it's also Christopher Nolan is like a great filmmaker anyway. So you know, it's except for Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, well, you know. No, yeah. if, if if that movie stood on its own, we'd probably feel a lot better about it. Probably, yeah. If, if that came out like after Batman and Robin, <laughs> we would probably be bigger fans of it. I mean, I think because um, I think in retrospect, it's probably better than Batman Begins. I don't know. I don't like Batman Begins. I didn't really like Batman Begins when I saw it. Really, I kind of loved it. I was like, I was fascinated. I saw I was, with you like four times in theaters, but I was, yeah. I, I basically what I what I like is I like the scenes where he's in the Narrows as Batman, 
doing stuff. Like that's the only stuff I like in it. All the Rachel Ghoul, globe trotting, all that, like it just feels so superfluous. I love it. That was my favorite part about it. Like I, I that and I just like I remember being so impressed with the movie overall without being impressed by like the set pieces. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a big complaint was that, like, you know, Christian Nolan isn't very good at directing action. You can't really tell when he's fighting and blah, blah, blah. I just remember thinking, like, I don't care. Like, it's everything that happens in between the set pieces is why I like this movie. Because it just, it affected me on a very different level. Because I I wanted to do that. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to disappear and come back, like, a better person. Like, that was, that whole idea, like, really affected me. Well, okay. Let's talk about that real quick. Because yeah. I've realized, you know, we've, we've done nerdy stuff. We haven't talked anything, like, you know, on a deeper spiritual level. We've just sort of done, like, a, I like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so we started this. Sorry, I'm taking over the moderator role for a moment, if, you, if you're okay with that. That's fine. Um, is we started out talking about how Batman resonates because you, as you think, you know, you think he's sort of like a, 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 there's, a there's a wish fulfillment American fantasy thing, which I can see, right? Because he's... It sort of fits the idea of he's wealthy. Well, if you work hard enough, you could be wealthy like Batman. And he is wealthy enough that he doesn't have to follow the rules, but he chooses to do something noble and good by, you know, using his resources to fight crime or whatever. And so it fits into that Robin Hood, um, Zorro mythology that we that we love in our American Mm -hmm. culture. Um, But you mentioned in Batman Begins that idea of leaving and coming back a better person. Yeah. that That's interesting to me because it was around the time that movie came out is when you were working for a missions department at PBA. And that was the sort yeah. of thing you wanted to do was travel overseas and come back a better person. So I'm just curious, like, is that, am I, am I onto something here? Oh, definitely. Cause I remember I had just got back from China when we saw Batman Begins and he goes to China. Right. right. <laughs> um, and th- there was that. And I think I, the reason why I, one of the reasons why I was traveling so much is I thought it was, transforming me into this like well-rounded robust stronger person and you know this is definitely back in, the, in a time where i had definitely believed in the whole like you know very individual i was very individualistic very pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy you know the self-help not not like the self-help gurus or whatever but like the whole idea behind that is like you can make yourself like I don't know. You can you could turn yourself into Superman if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what I was trying to do all throughout college, and I thought that by traveling, I was doing that. And so, yeah, I think I think that movie definitely I connected with that part of the film. That's probably why it affected me so much, and why so many years later, after not being able to travel and <laughs> kind of at the lowest point of my life, I was very poor and not becoming a better person. Or at least in, in my eyes, I, I didn't feel like I was becoming a better person. I saw it again in theaters. Like this movie has no effect on me whatsoever. I don't really like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. So, can, yeah, yeah, because I mean, I'm just thinking about. Cause I try to think a little bit about spiritual themes with Batman, mm-hmm. a little bit, and the kind of story that Batman wants to tell. You know, good versus evil. Um, his main villain is the Jokester, uh, the Joker, who is. Not re- who's more of a classic Satan type character than the more Paradise Lost um, Inferno type Satan that we're used to in a lot of Western culture. Because Satan, you know, if you think of like the Book of Job, 
um, is more of a you know, or the way the way that the serpent appears in the in the Garden of Eden is is more of that kind of trickster person, and like you know, the Joker in the Dark Knight, and in, for instance, is you know very much about you know just trying to give people a little bit of a push to be what they really want to be, like that's all they need. Um, and that's you know kind of what the serpent does with Eve is gives her the push that she needed to you know to do the thing that you know to to take matters into her own hands because that's what the Jewish interpretation of that story is all about. Um, and you know, so I think about that. I think about how Batman eighty nine, the climax of that movie, takes place in a church. Oh yeah. Um, Batman's an Episcopalian, by the way. Really, I didn't know that. That's yeah, kind of sort of established in canon. Um, considering cool. that he's an old money English family, oh, okay. it only makes sense that he would be Anglican uh, Episcopalian because he's yeah. waspy person. Um, um, whereas um, Superman's a Methodist. Okay, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I, and I'm kind of fascinated by the, the ways in which those, even though they're not overt in the comics and then in the stories, the way that those kinds of themes express the kind of people that they are. Um, they do kind of explore it a little bit in Man, Man of Steel, right? Like, you, you see oh, yeah. it in Man of Steel, and even in Batman v Superman, he has a very Mennonite <laughs> style funeral, right? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but Batman, Batman being of a, you know, tradition ritual theatrics which is a big part of you know batman yeah. uh, you, you could see his theatrics coming from his liturgical exposure of high church episcopalianism from the from like because like chicago which is you know gotham um that's the what we call the beretta belt that's where all the high church parishes are kind of in that area um and so like those are the kinds of things like i think about too with the, with, with the character of batman um but, um, you know, I think about like, cause like similar to like thinking about myself, you know, like I kept, so I kept in my, um, in like the entryway of the house I lived in with my grandparents, my mom and I lived in with my grandparents when I was young, my mom had like a decorative, like wood, like it was like a trash can, didn't have any trash in it. It was just like a trash can. Um, and I used to keep my Batman costume stashed in there so that like I could put it on and fight crime. Right. So like, well, <laughs> so I, um, I, I've got these photos of me dressed up as Batman. They're on my Facebook page. Um, as a kid, I, I loved Batman. I loved Batman so much when I was a kid. And I think I resonated with the character so much for years. And I think it was that wish fulfillment kind of thing of being able to put on a costume and be someone else, but be someone who's strong and influential and people respect. And you can do things that your real life self can't do because if you try to do as your real life self, people are going to look at you and think like, oh, that's just you. That idea of of being able to do good, but you're the only one who knows it's you. That's yeah, appealing. I mean, they, yeah. And Bruce Wayne says that in Batman Begins, it's like, as just a guy, I'm, 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 you know, fallible. I can be corrupted. Right. But as a symbol, I'm indestructible. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm wondering, you know, if, if, if that just shows even, even now, in 2019, because like my kids are fascinated by Batman. They know nothing about him. They've never seen a Batman movie, nothing about Batman. But they, they look at the character and they're like, Batman's cool. Like they just look at that and recognize it. And I, and I wonder if it still taps into that. You know, like my kid, like Charlie was asking me the other day. He was just like, 
no. Who does Batman fight? Like, who are Batman's bad guys? And so I'm going through a list of, you know, I'm having fun too. Like, I'm getting real deep, you know, like Zazaz, uh, the Calendar Man. Uh, <laughs> Victor Kite, Zaz, you found Marty. <laughs> Kite Man. Um, and, uh, but I, um, I'm wondering how much of it still is true to, like, you know, Bob Kane, Bill Finger, these Jerry Siegel, Joel Schuster, these kinds of kids who grew up Depression era New York City seeing injustice and corruption all around them and feeling like there's got to be someone who can do something about it and do so in a way that, um, you know, like is bigger than just an individual, right? They, you know, the idea of Batman who strikes fear in the hearts of criminals, who becomes an urban legend. Um, like I can see the appeal and that seems to be something that's primal, you know, probably for little boys, maybe and little girls too, I'm sure. But um, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, we have this character who's persisted for this long and continues to persist probably for the same reasons. Well, uh, on that note, um, I think we're going to end the episode here. Um, I was going to ask you, I forgot what I was going to ask you. We didn't talk about the Prince soundtrack for, for Batman. I know I had it. <laughs> you, had, you had it? On cassette tape. Nice. I was very disappointed though because I wanted it because I wanted the um, I wanted the Danny Elfman score. Yeah. And you had to get a separate orchestral soundtrack to get that. The actual Batman soundtrack was just all Prince songs. Right. Uh, uh, well, well, a quick question before we go. Mm-hmm. Favorite Batman theme? Danny Elfman, eighty-nine. Yeah, I, I think so too. Especially the finale score. Yeah. Where he's standing on the on the edge, looking mm-hmm, at the bat mm-hmm. symbol, and you hear the church bells. Dong, dong. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Yeah, it's just—I mean, it's as iconic as as the Superman as um 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 Superman theme. Yeah, but uh, the Superman theme was your take of, but not not Junky XL Superman theme. The um John Williams. John Williams. Thank you. I was having I'm blanking out on the composer to the point, <laughs> but just as an aside, I love that. Um, you know, Danny Elfman was brought in to do Justice League. Yeah. And when they were talking about the music, he was saying, well, you know, Batman's theme is going to be in it. Which I love that, like, Danny Elfman's like, no, Batman has one theme. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I, lo- I, and I remember when Batman Forever was coming out, they used the Danny Elfman score in the trailers. And then when it was a completely different score in the movie, I was very disappointed because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I did not like that score. <laughs> yeah. This is a kid. I didn't really like it. Um, but yeah, uh, Danny Elfman's score is perfect. And I love that it's used as sort of a basis for the animated series as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's used outright as like an intro, but like for the rest of the series too, it's, it's kind of like a, as his basis and Elfman inspired. Absolutely. So, uh, so let's 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 end this with the uh, Danny Elfman finale score, and throw throw those uh, monetizing rights out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. All right, so Father Chuck, thank you so much. Thank you. It was good to be back. And uh, unfortunately, Matt wasn't able to be here, but hopefully, he'll be with us next week. And we will be back next week. We're back. Right? Are we back? We're back. I think we're back. I think I think we can do it. I we're gonna try. <laughs> yes. 
like Cobra Kai, Masters of Divinity never dies. Oh, we have to talk about that show so much now. We yes, too. We do. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thank you so much for listening and for watching. Remember to like and subscribe. Uh, find us on Facebook and like us there. Uh, ring that bell for some notifications on uh, when we release the episodes. And uh, join us again next week. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. Thank you.